to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, disaster management, crisis management, COVID, anything that's relatable to those subjects, and anything that helps you, your organization, or your community plan for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. Longtime listeners, uh, you will know that I talked uh, a lot about um, Business Continuity Institute. I've talked about uh, the Teams organization. And uh, sometimes I'm lucky enough to get some of those people who will come on the show and talk about uh, you know, different subjects. And today I'm lucky enough to have somebody from the International Emergency Management Society, or at least that's how I uh, came in contact with today's guest, I should say. And um, she's recently received her certification, her uh, team's certification. So congratulations uh, to my guest. But I'd like to get to my guest a lot sooner. We're going to talk about uh, disaster management and project management and how the two uh, work together. And I'd like to welcome to the show from Australia today, Desiree B. Carey. Desiree, welcome. Thank you, Alex. And thank you very much for having me on your show and um, and introducing me to uh, your listeners around the world. It's uh, it's a real pleasure to be to be with you today. Thank you. Uh, it's great to have you. I know you and I t- uh, chatted, uh, I guess it would be about a month ago or, or maybe um, about an upcoming newsletter I've been putting together for teams about certification. And you and I had yes. a chat and uh, shared some uh, thoughts. And uh, that's when I thought, you know, hey, would you be interested in coming on the show? And Luckily, you're here today. Yes. <laughs> now, uh, because we do have global, li- or we, I'll say we, we have global listeners literally around the globe. Can you take a minute or two uh, to talk about yourself, uh, you know, give a, a brief bio and how you got to where you are today? Yes, of course. Thank you. Uh, firstly, let me wish um, your listeners a very happy new year. This is 2021. We finally crawled out to 2020. So uh, I wish you all around the world success and prosperity and good health as we go towards something more positive. Um, I Look, I can say that my first disaster was a cyclone when I was a child. And from then, when I saw the look on people's faces post-cyclone once, I saw people's, um, I saw how people were affected. I saw the, that blank look in their eyes. I saw that lost look in their eyes. I thought I saw that, that, um, that feeling of emptiness that they had looking around the devastations that's around them. And somehow I feel it marked me. I didn't realize to what point it had marked me. And I feel that, Flying over um, Australia when I migrated here from Europe, um, that's when they had the 2008 um, bushfire. Um, 
once again, I had that feeling in my heart. I was in a plane and I looked down, it was all black everywhere. And I thought to myself, how do people recover from that? How do you, how do you get over that? Because I was lucky enough, um, having been in a cyclone across five cyclones who have been protected from it, um, and being a child, I, you know, I saw what I saw. But now as an adult, I saw that and I thought, oh, my God, how does one recover from that? What do you do? And I think it's those kinds of things that um, those experiences that did something to me. And in my heart and in my previous life, I, I have been project managing. And, and I guess, you know, as, as, as women, we're permanently, if you're running a home and things, you're project managing, but you don't call it that. You just manage a home. But I realized that I have been uh, project managing um, from a perspective of events uh, travel, etc. So um, the, the difference between project management and event management is that while you do have the same steps, you have a deadline date that is normally unmovable, except, of course, in the year of COVID where everything got moved. So, um, But in event management, you have that drop dead date. Most of the time, you know, depending who you work with, you have the political deadlines, etc. Can't move it. So you, you, you move heaven and earth to meet it. Project management, of course, you're working from the front to the end, and it's a tiny bit, it's a little bit different, but pretty much all the, um, all the uh, steps are the same. And I've, I've seen both, and uh, I've been lucky enough to be, to, to be part of, um, you know, the emergency management sector in Australia. That's, that's really uh, where I really delved into it, um, and uh, I've fallen in love with it. I did my master's thesis in risk and emergency management, and I absolutely adore risk. And I, I've gone. Now, that, now there's something you don't hear every day. What's that? that <laughs> there's I love something risk. you don't hear every day. I adore risk. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's it's the fact that you know it's the idea of asking the what if question all the time because we do it you know you spend money you buy a car you're permanently <clears throat> assessing risk in everyday life we just don't call it that or you don't see it as that but you you know you do you know you book a holiday well what if the fire gets cancelled what do you do do you not ask that you get insurance so we're doing it maybe on a smaller scale or depending on what, how big a holiday you're taking. Um, but it, it is great asking the what if questions. It, it, it creates, it, you know, it brings out creativity because when you come and get up against a wall, you want to try and go around it. And that's where that creativity comes out. And not only do you see the, the issues, but you also see the benefits of having to find ways. And then you think, Oh, I could have done this like this all this time. So it's not all negative when you look at risk. I like the idea that the opportunities that it can create. So, um, but anyway, all in that to say that here I am, at the, I now work at the Bushfire Natural Hazard CRC, Cooperative Research Centre. We do high level research to um, protect and make and help the Australian community more resilient to natural hazards because we cannot stop the hazard from happening, a disaster from happening. What we can do is prepare people and make sure that the impact, the consequences of these disasters are, are better managed and people are more prepared. So that's, that's, that's where I am 
at the moment when it comes to job? Well, I, I know I've mentioned before uh, on the show that uh, for anyone who may not know, uh, I've been working in business continuity, crisis management, et cetera, for you know, uh, <clears throat> 22 years uh, now or more. And uh, I also have another career path and it's project management. So I'm really yeah. looking forward to uh, talking with you today. Now, um, on, on the topic of um, uh, project management and disaster management, uh, and you already brought brought it up, some of the natural disasters, You, the, some of the information that uh, we've exchanged, you had an interesting uh, five points definition of what a natural disaster is and what some of those post-disaster projects occur. And some, you know, some of those projects, I got to tell you, the, you know, the, your notes you gave me, it says, you know, some of these slides may not be, uh, you know, um, happy slides, let's just say, you know, and some of these projects you have to consider really uh, different. Yes, Alex, they are sadly, and this is the reality of disasters. And, and, and you, you mentioned that um, there are, you know, there are many ways to define what a disaster is. Um, it's, it's when a, a, a hazard, and we all know that a hazard will cause damage of some kind, it's when, a, you know, you have a hazard, but you have, it suddenly, it happens. Um, and then it, it disrupts everything we know around us, our, our social network. It, um, it causes, you have to do unplanned actions. Um, and, you know, there are, there are so many things that changes when, you, when a, a disaster hits that you are left with having to deal with what happens afterwards because anything you may have planned is about what you've planned but what we plan is not always you one is not always able to put this plan in 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 action simply because because you had no control over what the disaster can cause so it's great to have a plan um it's always good to have a backup plan of the plan um but it's, it's, you know, a disaster can be, um, you need to be very ready to adapt your plan. It's good to have a course of action, but have that idea of flexibility or adaptability, especially when you're dealing with disasters, because not everything goes to plan. Because when you're planning, you're in one place and you're assuming, you know, all your dominoes are, or your, you know, mm-hmm. um, all your little bits are in their place where you've put them, but on the day of a disaster and while it's happening, your dominoes might not be in that place. They may be scattered. They may be in different places. So what do you do when they're all scattered and all there is is you? You can't do everything. Um, you do know what the plan is, but now you have to adapt. So it's a question that you said adaptive capa- uh, capacity that we, mm-hmm. you know, that interests me the most. And and then you touched on. The post-disaster, um, the kind of um, the kind of projects. Well, you know, the reality of disaster is that it kills. You know, it's you know, it, it is fatal for people depending on what how big it is. So you do have um, you do have deaths, you do have destruction, you do have injuries, and. When you look at projects, and as you said, some of them are quite, um, you know, people can, it's, it's upset sensitivities, but that's the most, that's the important part, because if you consider, um, um, if you consider the 
impacts of the Indian Ocean tsunami or the Japanese tsunami. Uh, these are the two biggest ones that probably stays in our mind in the most recent times. Um, imagine the kind of death toll that that came up. Well, you have corpses, unfortunately, literally everywhere where someone, some group, some department has to clean that up and that's done through project. You have homes, you know, that are smashed to pieces. Someone, some group has to clean that up. If, if there's an earthquake or destruction of roads, buildings, etc., we know what earthquakes can cause. Someone has to go in there and clean up um, not only the, um, the, the actual concrete and the debris, but someone again has to go and, clean and, and, and take care of the dead. So these are very delicate things to do, but they're still projects. And there, there are timelines to do that in, but there are ways of doing that and there's a certain organization. So it is, you know, post disasters, there are so many aspects that people don't really consider um, how important, you know, the, how much work is being done and the kind of, uh, you know, capabilities that are required and the organizations, um, because there's also the idea that you're, the area is flooded with people who are managing all these different sectors. Mm -hmm. And it's a question, how do you organize that? So you've got the people who are doing their single individual work. So you've got the um, people cleaning up, you know, removing debris, taking care of cadavers, you know, um, and, and making sure people have shelters and making sure that they have water and all those things. But at the same time, on top of that, who's organizing these people? And, um, and if you imagine that there's also, naturally after a disaster, you've got this, hum this major mass um, influx of media, you know, like ants, they just flood the place. And, and then you've got all these hotels, you've got food and stuff. So who manages that? So if you imagine a place is, dev you know, is devastated and they have minimal um, uh, materials to be dealing with. You're, you're thinking of food, shelter and everything. Everything is broken. Yet you have a whole bunch of people coming and asking for exactly that. Shelter, food, this, that, the other, plus the people who are there to actually help. So it's, it's a great big mess and projects. Um, and it's, it's really unimaginable of what happens post-disaster. And, you know, don't forget, you've got a whole bunch of people, which is that affected community, who are feeling at that particular time incredibly lost. They are, they are confused, they are upset, they are sad, they're distraught, they are heartbroken, they've lost people or they're lost or their people are literally lost somewhere, they don't know if they're alive or dead. Um, and you've got this, this emotional uh, surge that's all around everyone. So all of that is, um, is it's something to consider and can be quite traumatic and you're expected to manage projects and help people in that. So it's all of that that happens post-disaster that we have to consider. And um, I play a very tiny little role trying to make that a little bit better. That's, that's what I feel I should do. Yeah. Believe it or not, we've come to the end of our first segment already. <laughs> told, told you time flies. Yeah. So really? we're, yeah, we're talking with uh, Desiree B. Carey today. Uh, we're talking about project management and disaster management. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Are you looking for a fun yet informative program about health care for your pet? Check out Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. They look into natural health alternatives for ourselves, so why not our pets? This program provides the most up-to-date, accurate, and innovative information about traditional and holistic veterinary medicine. You'll find a ton of answers regarding your pet's health every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back. We are talking with Desiree B. Carey today about disaster management and project management. Uh, Desiree, can you clarify something uh, for me? Can you uh, define disaster management? And that may sound like a silly question, but I've actually run into people, um, and there's probably people listening or watching right now who think, oh, well, you know, a sprinkler went off in the office or my mainframe broke, that's a disaster, so that's disaster management. But it's not. Can you clarify what that is? Yes, uh, of course, I um, I think um, when there, there, I guess it's when you're talking about disasters, it's a question of scale as well. 
And for this organization that needs to fix their mainframe, you know, this is their world, you know, and it is a disaster for them. It's not a disaster for the rest of the world or for their community or perhaps for their, um, for their location, for their country. And yeah, it is a question of scale. Um, what, what, when I'm talking about natural hazards and in a natural uh, disaster, um, we're talking about the, the, the ones like um, a fire, a tsunami, a, a flood, um, so these 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 um, weather events that can and climatic events and earthquakes that can destroy communities and roads and infrastructure and all of what socioeconomic that, um, environment that was in place that was stable before that came through and the idea of disaster management is is the coming together of professionals who work in the in, in organizations such as fire, um, um, the, the, uh, ambulance, um, police, um, the SES here, you know, um, who, um, who look after floods and all sorts of things, the emergency services. And it's about a whole bunch of organizations that come together to, um, to do their best to restabilize people to restate to save lives um that's more response but saving lives is ongoing you know you could be injured so you could go one way or another so to restabilize the people the community the social economic uh well-being of a place a country or um you know right now with uh, covid it's the world um you know so uh, this is where disaster management is it's the uh not the building back better or putting back better, but um, bringing the people back to a smoother recovery so that they can move on with their lives, find, they, you know, depending on what has impacted them, they will, ne it won't be the same again. You can never have everything the same again, mm -hmm. but yeah. they can find that stability again. Um, with the losses they've suffered, with the trauma they've suffered, and move forward in a healthier way uh, post that disaster. So that's what disaster management is, is enabling uh, a group of people, whether it's the survivors or the emergency management sector themselves, to actually move forward and assist people and assist themselves to pass to get past the disaster that's what disaster management is and there are a lot of uh you know each government has policies in place or should have policies in place that are um, um that that are triggered um when the disaster strikes and then that sets off a series of of, of things emotions that uh creates and, and, and let's lose all the people who need to be let loose so that they are able to help the people. The people are the main um, object because we need to make sure conser conservation of life is the ultimate, but life cannot happen without clean water. Life cannot happen without food. Life cannot happen without streets being available uh, so that the- food And that would be some of those projects, right? Exactly. So when, when you look at disaster management, it's all this chain reaction that happens. So to, you want to preserve life, you want to give people shelter. Um, all of this is part of it. 
but at the same time, they all have a knock-on effect. One cannot happen without the other because, as you also, you know, you might or may not know, but nowadays we live in kind of a, a systems. You know, we're looking at um, a, a network where you do one thing, it will impact something else. One, yeah. There are no automa- you know, autonomous systems anymore. It's all very interdependable. You know, so um, if you have a mobile phone, you need to have internet. You can't just have a phone without internet because, well, who can have a phone without internet now? It's almost like you can't have a computer that's just a computer that you can just type word processing or just type letters in it. You need to have it linked to internet. So nothing is standalone anymore. So you have to look at everything in disaster management in the same way. Can you take a, a minute or two and, and just describe um, uh, PPRR, which is related yes. to disaster well, management? That's right. So um, the PPRR is part of the um, disaster management framework. It's uh, prevention, which is also known as mitigation, preparedness, um, uh, response and recovery. So when you're looking at uh, prevention and preparedness, which is um, well, prevention is to stop uh, the impact. It's, prevention is not stopping the hazard from occurring. Let's remember that because, you know, this is well out of our control. No matter how much, how big we think we are, we can't control a hazard from taking place. What we can do is we can prevent um, something from happening and impacting us by by putting in a certain amount of um regulations, for example, building codes, um, legislation, um, public education and information to inform people what to do if, so that if, you know, let's take the example of a, of, of a tsunami, you know, if they, they've now in most places where tsunamis are, are, if you want to call it common, uh, there are loudspeakers all around the routes and everything. Um, and as soon as there's a warning, then the alarm will sound. People know to drop everything, leave the beach, leave anything that's within a certain kilometers, go up, go up to the hills, go up, up, up and away. So, you know, that's that's what prevention is. So it helps you to get away from the impact of that hazard. Um, preparedness is um, are things like emergency response plans, um, warning systems, as I mentioned in regards to the tsunami. Uh, communications, um, agreements between uh, organizations for mutual aid, for example, Um, what more? Education, again, public education, Uh, shelters, making sure there are shelters already in place in different places, whether if it's a bushfire shelter or if it's flood shelter, making sure that these things are in place. Response, of course, we all know about response. That's the blue light, flashing blue lights that come in and save us. So responders come in and do what they need to do uh, immediately, but they they don't have they have no preparation for the before. You need, you know, so that's where the um, prevention and preparedness comes in, and uh, they don't have anything to do with after. So response is basically coming in, putting out the fire, and then packing up and go. And I don't mean to make it sound like that's very basic. It's a very dangerous job, when, especially when you consider people who have to go, um, you know, into swift water rescue or firefighters, anyone who needs to go into anywhere that's highly dangerous to save a life. 
I, I don't mean to simplify it, but that's a very specific area for response. And response has a very is, is a, has a duration of whatever it is, long enough to stop the fire, long enough to rescue the person who's drowning, long enough to um, to save lives, long enough to yeah to do those things. That's what response does. Afterwards, just as soon as while response uh, response is underway and people are being saved, recovery begins almost simultaneously, and recovery is everything that happens after the disaster. So um, recovery could be, of course, recovery is men, uh, mental health recovery, physical mm. recovery, recovery of buildings, uh, recover, uh, you know, renovation, reconstruction, um, uh, more public information, where to get what, moving people from, excuse me, from shelters to more permanent accommodation, perhaps while their homes are being rebuilt. Um, and also recovery of the economy, because depending on how big the, uh, the, the disaster was that impacted that community, that country, then it's all about the uh, recovery of the whole, you know, the, the society that has um, suffered that disaster. So that's the nature of PPRR. And it's an approach to the emergency management or disaster management, as we call it. Um, you know, there are two ways, emergency management, disaster management, they're interchangeable and they're used in different countries, different in, in the same way. Well, you, first of all, you answer a question I was going to ask about emergency exactly. management, disaster management. So I can skip that one now. <laughs> yeah, well, when you, when, the thing is, when we talk about emergency, we all think it's the triple zero, nine one one. Um, you know, 999, uh, these numbers, that's an emergency. And it's, that's the, the, when we talk emergencies, most people think of the response part. So, but when we're thinking of disasters, especially natural disasters, it doesn't, you know, of course, the triple zeros, the 999911 numbers are, of course, many people call them because they do. Uh, but you're thinking of, well, they can't stop this. They're not going to be able to put that out. It's not, this is bigger than that, you know. So right. can think of it like that. But, you know, some, some countries will call it emergency management, like FEMA in the U.S., um, federal emergency management, um, you know. And it's, it's you know, it doesn't, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's like semantics. Um, yeah, it's called it's, emergency management, disaster management, but that's what they do, disasters. So now let's jump to how does traditional project management and natural disaster management, you know, because we were talking about some disasters, uh, how do those two uh, management approaches, um, how are they similar? How can one uh, benefit the other? Well, look, even when you're looking, except for me, response, when you're looking at uh, prevention, preparedness, and re recovery, anything that you're going to plan to do, let's say you're looking at mitigating floods, for example, and I'll talk about any, something that most people know about. For the, uh, the, the, the levee um, in uh, Katrina, the levee broke, yeah? Mm -hmm. So if you're considering like upping, making that levee higher and making it stronger so that that won't burst and overflow is again. Well, if you do it beforehand or any kind of levee, you, it's a project. 
but it's mm. a, a project for mitigation to stop the for, for, for the for the water from over overflowing and then not causing a, a flood yeah so that's managed through a project but it's pre-disaster and it's a mitigation project if the levy has overflowed and there has been a disaster you still need to you know if the levy has been breached you still need to fix it then it becomes a post-disaster project all right okay. um However, when you're thinking of project management and disaster management, when you're looking at the event pre-disaster, most materials, most resources are available pre-disaster. You know, if you want to get cement, you want to get people, staff, you want to get wood, um, whatever you need, most of the time you can shop around and find it in that vicinity and in the time frame that you're looking for because part of the project management part is to procure these things for the best price, for the best quality or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're looking post-disaster, if you consider a country that's already just been hit pretty badly by a hazard and they are in disaster stage, it's chaos everywhere, and you might the, the roads to that area might be blocked or the whole country might be affected, you don't have the choice to pick who your human resources are. You don't have the choice to find the wood that you want or the cement that you want or the, the trade that you want because either they are too busy trying to fix their own people, their own home, they may be affected physically or, uh, you know, mentally. They, um, you know, so the, the surrounding is in chaos. So to get yourself a group of people who are able to do that, most of the time, they're not there, you have to bring them in, and that takes time. And this is also a project, but your your resources are limited, and you are fighting for resources, because everybody needs human resources, everyone needs a tradesperson, everyone needs a carpenter, everyone needs a plumber, everyone needs a cook, everyone needs a chef, everyone needs everyone, you know, so these people, you know, you don't have this uh, huge choice then because it's limited and there is a fight for resources and you need to act quickly you need to adapt how do you get those resources to you know to fix all of the stuff that you need to fix and how do you you know and it's a question of prioritizing so while you're still applying the same project management principles you have to make decisions that might be a bit contrary to what you would do. For example, you know you can get wood way cheaper, but not today, not this month, and not if you want to fix this right now to stop this from, you know, going beyond. So then you pay the top dollar for it. It comes from somewhere. You know the, the, the quality is shoddy, but you have no choice. So it's those decisions that you have to make. So that's where... Um, you need to be more adaptable post-disaster because um, you're asked a lot to to do a lot with very little. And and I and know it, where I know where you're going. You're going to the agile ap- approach, and I'm go- I want to save that for our last segment because you're okay. heading right you're so, heading right there. <laughs> yes, I, uh, well, this is this is the idea though because. Um, you know, when you when you're looking at a tra- you know traditional project management, let's say pre pre disaster, you've got you know your resources are allocated in advance. You have 
a, a lot of upfront planning that's done. Um, you have, um, you know, you can learn from other projects. What did they do in this situation? So you've got the time. Uh, you look at performance indicators. You're, you've done a risk assessment. You've done your stakeholder planning. You're doing all of those um, things that you'd normally do. And you've got a clinical ap approach to how you would manage this project. And, and when you, whenever you have changes coming up, then you go through a process, you know, you need, you know, you need more money or you, you need to move around the money because this is costing less. So you've got all this time, all these negotiations to do, and you've got time. Post-disaster, Another story because you've got mm -hmm. um, no no resources are allocated until the disaster strikes. So because what's the point of allocating disaster when they, they probably won't be around anyway? Um, you cannot plan anything in advance. You can have an emergency plan on where to go, what to do, and things like that, but not about resources and who's going to fix things. You cannot do right. that. You cannot share lessons because even when you're thinking of the aid organizations that come in to do the projects, they are never the same people from one uh, disaster to another. So you will never have the same team working together. So any lessons they may have learned from a previous disaster, when the new team comes up to this country and they say, we've been, you know, we have this experience, they, they don't have the shared lessons as a team of project people. It's a whole new team, a whole new disaster. And it's, you, it's not carried forward, if you will. You don't, and yes, sorry, do you want to? Sorry, I, I thought you were finishing a point, and I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say, we've come to the end of our second segment. <laughs> All right. Well, so, people, if you want me to talk more about these bits, I can always contact Oh, yeah, you. we got one more segment to go. <laughs> sure. All right. So we're talking with, <clears throat> excuse me, Desiree B. Carey. Uh, about project management and disaster management, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio. Live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. 
Are you looking for a fun yet informative program about health care for your pet? Check out Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. They look into natural health alternatives for ourselves, so why not our pets? This program provides the most up-to-date, accurate, and innovative information about traditional and holistic veterinary medicine. You'll find a ton of answers regarding your pet's health every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back for our last segment. We are talking with Desiree B. Carey about uh, disaster management and project management. Desiree, you started to uh, go down uh, the road of being adaptable, and I take that as being agile, agile project management. Can you define what that is and how being agile, I know you kind of touched on some of it, but how agile project management uh, comes into play with disaster management? Mm -hmm. Of course, Alex. Um, Yeah, as you mentioned, I did touch on that about having a certain level of well, a lot of adaptability when you're managing post-disaster project. Um, Agile project management was actually developed um, in, for the IT industry because, as you know, um, they, they, they needed to do a lot of iterations, one inter- iteration of another to make sure that things were working. And if it didn't, then they do another iteration until it did. Um, which I felt that, as, and I, that was part of my research, that are using Agile in project management was necessary because of what I explained in the previous segment, that post-disaster, you have to adapt to what there is. There's nothing in place for you. There are no resources of any kind for you. What you think was available before is no longer. So you have to think on your feet. You have to make do with what you've got, with as little as you want, and, 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 make it last longer. So um, there was this framework that was developed by someone called Haas in 2008, which is the, called the project, um, the project Complexity Continuum. And it talks about um, the more predictable a project is, the, more, the less uh, adaptable it needs to be. Uh, however, when you have a highly complex uh, project, which is in an environment that is full of uncertainty, in an environment that is volatile, then you need to look for an adaptive way of, of, um, of, of, doing, of managing your project. And agile project management is important because when you are working post-disaster and delivering projects, you are working with people in an affected community and you are delivering benefits to that community. So 
Agile promotes the consultation. For example, um, in, in Asia, following a disaster, a lot of organization, aid organizations put houses when they moved the affected community from shelters to houses, they built houses to the standards of the Western people. They didn't ask them what kind of house. Well, if you know the an Asian community, you know that they don't all live in li their little rooms and their little bedrooms and etc. This is a community that likes to have a nice big veranda, a nice big outdoor area, um, uh, you know, where they can share food. They do this as a community, as a whole family. That's how they live. But the, the homes that, they, that was built by the alien organization was not in any way fit for purpose, was not appropriate. But this is what was delivered. So a lot of people, what they do, they let them build and then they smash it down, sell the different parts, um, and then they build something eventually for what they need because they don't need that. That's not how they live. So when we're talking post-disaster, you need to have this agile promotes consultation. Talk to your people see what they need, when they need it, how they need it, and then deliver it so that it's fit for purpose. And that's the most important part of Agile is consultation, communication, um, cooperate, collaborate, adapt with them and work with them. It's this whole process where you're continuously having this dialogue with the people, the people who you'd call the end users, the stakeholders, the affected communities, but you're permanently speaking with them and you are delivering something for them, not what you put by your standards. If you've gone to help, then you help them, not help yourself by your standards. And that's what Agile does. It um, delivers fit for purpose. These are the words. If anything else, I think Agile is, it delivers fit for purpose um, outcomes for those who need it. And if you don't listen to those people, you don't consult and ask them what they need, then your project might be nice and shiny, but they will break it up and sell it off and your project will be good for nothing. Um, and you obviously want to deliver, deliver a project that's sustainable, that people are gonna appreciate. So you're adding value to community, not just putting something there, say, I've done my bit. So Agile has talks more to the people and, in a nutshell, um, this is what it is. And on my, based on my research, I developed a framework for um, use an, an agile framework for post-disaster uh, projects, which takes into consideration those um, specific, um, you know, features and benefits that are needed to. What about time? That. Mm -hmm. What about time? Because if it's post-disaster and you're you're you know, you've got people that are impacted. Does time have to be taken into account too? You know, like building homes, you know, you've got to do it as, I don't want to say you have to do it as fast as you can, but it, I think it's well, a situation you've got to address as fast as you can. That's, that's the, time is a big issue because that is an issue that is uh, always known, you know, because a lot of times you have NGOs, you know, the likes of, <laughs> Um, you know, all the big, um, you know, red crosses of the world who go in to help and assist and doing very great, very great work. Um, however, um, most of the, uh, the aid organizations, they will go in for a certain amount of time and then they'll pull out. So they have very big ideas of what they'd like to, to achieve. 
Um, however, you know, projects cannot get started if the resources are not there, you know, if they have no way of coming in because the area is cut off. So the time factor is, is a big issue because often um, after about six months or whatever, the start funding stops, uh, they're moving on to the next disaster and the next help in hand they do and it is where it stops where it stops sometimes you'll have some smaller organizations that are still helping but they're working very independently and they're all fighting let's remember that they are all fighting for the same scant resources you know so it's a mess there's no no pretty way of explaining this it is messy and i think um when if I'm doing that, I'm not saying the framework answers all the question and is the answer, you know, it's God's gift. However, I think if you're going to manage to deliver something, deliver the right thing. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you don't deliver the quantity, but at least deliver the quality and what you do deliver, make sure it's sustainable. It will stay and people will actually use it. And that's 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 the idea. Now, we've only got a couple of minutes left, uh, believe it or not. What are some of the skills, that, you know, if people are doing projects in uh, post-disasters, you know, and are agile, what kind of skills do they need to be able to do that and be effective at it? They needed to be able to talk and listen, I would say. Number one, if they can talk and they can listen, then they can, that means they can communicate and they can advocate you know, no, not advocate. They can be advocates for the people, the affected communities. They listen to what, what is being said and what is needed, be able to talk about it and communicate that forward. And, and if you can do those two, then, the, you know, they, they also have big skill sets. They're not there for nothing. So they have other skill sets. But if they can do those two, they can go forward and represent the affected communities, I would say. It's interesting. Com communication is, you know, the cornerstone of almost everything. Yes. You know, and it's it, very surprising how many times um, it turns out to be, you know, a uh, a trigger for other problems. You know, that's when right. You peel things back and find out, oh, the problem we really experienced was the communication. That's right. Because if you don't say what you want and you don't express what you want, or you don't. You know, it, it can be the make or break of everything, you know, whether you're talking about disaster management or you're talking about marriages, you know, as simple as that. If you don't talk to those that you need to talk to, then what's there to do? So I would say from this perspective, communicate and talk. And to say communicate is too big a word. Talk, listen. And, you know, hear what they have to say and understand what they're saying. And understanding means understand that you're in Asia or you're in Africa or you're in the Middle East. Wherever it is you are, do not expect their standards or their way of life to be the same as yours. So be open to that. Adapt to where you are. Don't, don't assume your perceptions or, or beliefs are the your same as everybody else. And your, yeah, the, what, what you think is important is what they think is, in, is important, you know. Um, so it's, it's a question of being in the situation, in the location, and be aware of where you are. And understand uh, it's not about you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, mm -hmm. 
we've only got a couple of minutes left. Like I said, can you take a minute and give some final thoughts on project management and disaster management? Yes, I think that, um, you know, disaster managers who are expected to do, you know, who have one specific skill, you know, who are very specific in what they do, there needs to be more training and more of them, more opportunities for them to learn, to be able to direct and manage and to have that freedom to um to uh, to make decisions literally on the run and to change decisions they need to have there needs to be policy in place so that they have that um, soft skill and they are adaptable in making decisions and changing decisions without fearing uh, repercussions of you know the blame that will come because they made a decision because this was the right decision to be made at the time it is not Again, it's not a decision that standard operating procedures would have said to do, but to have that freedom to make decisions because that was the right thing to do at the time, I would say. And on that note, we've come to the end of our show. Desiree, thank you very much for sharing your expertise and time with us today on project management, disaster management. I really appreciate it. And it's great to chat with you a second time, of course. Yes, of course. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone. And um, a great new year, a great 2021 to you all. And to you and uh, all of uh, your family and friends down in Australia as well. Oh, and I want to just say uh, congratulations once again. I believe you were the first or second person to receive the International Emergency Management Global Certification. So congratulations. Thank you so much. I um, I don't know how I did it, but I by the skin of my teeth, I succeeded, so I'm pretty happy about that. <laughs> well, you did it, so congratulations on that. Thank you, Alex, and thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening and for everything. And to everybody out there, uh, like I always say, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.